Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm Peter and this is Phil. Hello. Hi there. And today we're going to be talking about Clive Barker's film Nightbreed. I know we said on the previous podcast that we were going to talk about Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions, but we've decided that there's probably enough to talk about one per podcast. So we're going to just talk about Nightbreed today, isn't that right? That is correct. Good. So you might be thinking, but hang on a minute, that's got nothing to do with Hellraiser. Well, there are actually quite a few links, not only because it was made by Clive Barker, but there's quite a few links within the film itself, which we'll get to in a moment. So just back off, all right, you (laughs) saying that. All right, good. So this film was made in 1990, which would have been just after Hellraiser 2, but before Hellraiser 3. And it's based on a short novel... It's not that short, but they call it a short novel by Clive Barker called Cabal, which was, I think, his second novel. I think his second sort of full-length novel, which is very good, which you should read as well. It's excellent. But Clive Barker thought it could be turned into a good film. So when he got the opportunity to make another film of his own, he decided to adapt his book Cabal into a film. And the studio got involved, as they always do. Uh, Morgan Creek was the studio and ended up making quite a few changes, or at least Clive Barker had to make some compromises. And the first of these was to change the name of the film from Cabal to Nightbreed, because they thought people wouldn't know what Cabal meant. Mm. And so that was his first change of many, as we'll discuss a bit later on. So we're going to talk about the film. We're going to go all over the place, so this is a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the film already, then um, we probably will spoil it. especially sort of the end and things like that so that's a warning for you you probably have seen the film because it's got quite a big fan base amongst Hellraiser fans Mm. although actually saying that you might not have seen it because you can't get it on region 2 DVD you can't get it over here in the UK on DVD as far as I'm aware I've got the region 1 from the states and that's where we watched it from today Mm. which is weird isn't it well it is but apparently they don't think it's very popular even though it's got quite a big fan base. And, and they not have people, the internet. They don't have the internet. <laughs> they don't know. There's lots of people writing about it. No, there's lot, there is lots of online activity about Nightbreed, and there is a big fan base. So we're not going to tread anyone's toes in terms of a Nightbreed fan base. We're just going to give sort of our, our thoughts and reflections on it, because it's an important film in terms of Clive Barker, really. Mm. So first of all, let's talk about cast, because there's quite a few cast members that have been seen in Hellraiser films. Yeah. Some of them you'll know, and some of them you might not. So first of all, the lead character, Boone, is played by Craig Sheffer, who you will immediately recognise from Hellraiser Inferno, mm-hmm. or the other way around, if you saw Nightbreed first. So he's our first link, and also amongst the Nightbreed themselves, the group of freaks... There are some more faces that have been seen before, or sort of half seen, or <laughs> actors that have been used before, shall we say. So the first one is the character known as Peloquin in Nightbreed, who's the, the guy that bites Boone near the beginning, the guy with the sort of spiky tentacles hanging down. He has been seen before in Hellraiser, in Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. He's the delivery man, the one who turns up with the bed in Hellraiser. And uh, the one who comes to get the mattress at the end of Hellraiser 2 and gets pulled into it. Mm. Oliver Parker. Oliver Parker, yeah, yeah, who was a friend of Clive Barker. And he got back in to do this. I don't think it's his voice again. I think he's been 
obviously the voice has been altered to make it deeper, but I think it's probably another overdubbing by an American because mm. he's an English guy. And also in that same scene where he where Pelequin bites Boone, you've got the other character there known as Kinski, or I mean I refer to him as Banana Head and Phil referred to him as Moonhead. Moonhead, yeah. <laughs> so you've got him and he's played by Nicholas Vince, who is the chatterer. Yeah. In Hellraiser and Hellraiser Two. And we we've met and you can go back to our interview special, you can hear him talking about his time on Hellraiser. And this is him in this, and you can actually see his face. Well, apart from his forehead and his chin, mm. which have been extended to like a banana or a moon. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Chatterer, the guy that played Butterball, who we also interviewed on that podcast, Simon Bamford, is in this one. And he plays the character of Onaka. He's the one with the shaved head and the little dog. Yeah, he's in all of his glory. He is. He? You can actually see his whole face in this one. Yeah. And he's got a couple of lines as well. Yeah. Which is nice for him because all of his lines from Hellraiser got cut when he was Butterball. Because he couldn't speak with yeah. the makeup on. That's good. Yeah, that's... I like that. Isn't it nice that Clive Barker, you know, used the same people and got his, got his chums in? It is. Especially because they went through such hell, basically, on the first two Hellraiser films with all the makeup and the masks and things. It's mm. nice to actually have them out. Get them out for the yeah, lads. Yeah, it's nice to get them out for the fans. <laughs> yeah. So that's nice. He's got a little dog and uh, he's sort of quite camp and bouncing around. And there's one final actor we should talk about as well who's in this film who mm. you may recognise from a Hellraiser film, Doug Bradley. <gasps> Although you probably won't recognise him in Nightbreed because he's in quite heavy makeup. I didn't recognise him. No. no. He plays Lylesburg, the sort of leader of the Nightbreed. Although I think he was, his voice was dubbed over by someone else again. They wanted a, a German actor because that was the accent they were going for. And apparently Doug Bradley wasn't terribly impressed with that. You wouldn't be, would you? Well, not really. No. Because you can't recognise his face and then you can't recognise his voice. I, I've watched this film many times and I, I was unaware that it was him. I haven't watched this film many times, actually. I saw it when I was quite young, but that was mainly because I was a huge David Cronenberg fan, and I still am. And for those of you who don't know, I haven't seen the film, David Cronenberg actually has a major part to play. He's actually an actor in this film. Mm. He's the he's the, the Doctor. Which is great, isn't Doctor, it? Doctor Decker. It's brilliant, yeah. But I'm a massive fan of Cronenberg's films as well. Um, especially his early stuff, his you know body horror stuff. And it's wonderful to actually see him in the film. Because he has, every now and again he has a little cameo in his own films, but he's actually got a really big part in this one. And I don't know how that came about. <laughs> I wonder no. how Clive Barker decided to suddenly get David Cronenberg to play the, the Doctor in the film. If they were, if he maybe said he liked his stuff, and then yeah. but then it's such a, a leap to for someone to say, "Well, do you want to act in my film?" Yeah, I already like, like Hellraiser. Brilliant. Do you want the lead part in my next? <laughs> film? Do you want to be like the villain, basically? Yeah. In my next film, but it's cool, and he's very well suited to the part. He is. He's very good. He's a softly spoken creep maniac. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. But yeah, that's why I watched it first when I was when I was quite young because I liked Cronenberg and I heard he was in this film. And also on the back of the video cover, you had sort of images of some of the Nightbreed, including the big fat one with the head down in his belly, mm. which is great. That's brilliant. You you don't see him as much in the film as as you'd think actually. Bear in mind that he was on the front cover of some of the videos. Yeah, no, I I remember that image really stuck with me when I was young mm. because I, I remember seeing this book advertised called something like the Nightbreed Chronicles, and he was on the front of it. For like a promotional photo, yeah, and that image really stuck in my head. That image and the image, which we'll talk about later, of David Cronenberg's mask in the film, yeah. I remember drawing that 
on bits of paper at home, <laughs> just drawing it over and over again, and and really thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, it looks so cool, it looks so good. And I didn't know what the film was about at that point. I just saw the pictures. Oh wow! In like a horror magazine or something. No, the designs are brilliant. Mm. So let's talk about the mask now. Let's just dive straight in all over the place. Okay. In this conversation, um, you've got David Cronenberg's character, Doctor Decker. He, his sort of alter ego, his, you know, serial killer character, I think is referred to as Button Face, I think. Button Face. I think so. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, he is this, this character with the mask on, with buttons for eyes and a zip for a mouth. And that mask is brilliant. It's yeah. really good. It's really scary. Because he's kind of... Because, yeah, he's a psychiatrist or a therapist, isn't mm. he? And, and he's also a serial killer, which you'll find out in this film. And... Um, yeah, he's got this mask which looks so blank and weird, and he's got chainmail gloves. I think I think they're kind of like butcher's gloves. I think at the beginning, unless yeah. I'm now tripping out. <laughs> I think there's a there's definitely a bit at the beginning where he's got kind of chainmail esque gloves. Um, Could be. I'm not terribly I'm, observant. I've only seen the film it. a couple of times. Um, maybe recently. I'm losing it. But anyway, yeah, and he sort of wears his normal suit, doesn't he? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wears a nice suit. Very creepy when he sort of breaks into this family's house and massacres them all. And the mask looks like it should be a really iconic, you know, Halloween mask that you would see every year at Halloween time. But I've never seen this mask, like in a shop. No. Or on a figure or anything. But that goes to show that the film's not, you know, as big as maybe it should be, which is a shame. It's a great image though, isn't it? Yeah, a, 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 like a, a figure, an action figure. Of yeah, that would and the, look awesome. the fact that the, the zip mouth is sort of askew to one side, so when he talks, it's... It looks like he shouldn't really be able to speak properly, but it's still moving, and the nose is squashed and to one side as well. I, th- I mean, it, it's a really sort of uh, early sort of inspiration for the mask that they did for the Scarecrow, I think, in Batman Begins. Hmm. You know what I mean? In that it's just kind of, it has that kind of really sort of, I don't know, homemade type look to it. Yeah. It also looks like it's made out of latex or something like that. Yeah, it's quite skin tight, isn't it? Mm. It's- I'm not sure Which I kind of I remember thinking when I was younger that maybe it was like human skin that he used or something. <sighs> yeah, so if anyone does know of any action figures of Button Face, the serial killer character, or any sort of masks you can get online or in any shops, then let us know. Drop us a line. Hellraiser Podcast at hotmail.co.uk. That'd be great to find out. Mm. When we first meet him, he's just this softly spoken psychiatrist character who's trying to help Boone, so we think. Mm-hmm. And right, let's talk about Boone then. This is Craig Sheffer doing his angsty, serious acting, similar, a bit similar to his Hellraiser Inferno acting. Yeah, he's, he's full on Sheffer. He's doing the full Sheffer. Mm-hmm. And what do you make of Boone in this film? Um, I, I don't really like him, I must say. Even though he's the lead, I don't really connect with him that much. I think it's not so much a case of not liking him as not understanding his his motivations and things. And this could be to do with, you know, scenes that were filmed and have been cut. Or we'll get to that later on. But um, I think maybe it's to do with the fact that you're not quite sure what he's supposed to be doing at any time. Or, you, or you've missed bits that are important for his character. Because all of a sudden he'll be doing something and you think, well, why is he doing that then? Yeah, you. I don't think you just get enough time to sit with him, which is a problem with a lot of um, bits that happen in the film, which we'll talk about later. Uh, I think to do with you know studios insisting on things being cut out, but you don't really get enough time to. At the beginning of the film, he's a kind of troubled guy, 
and then he decides he you know he wants to go and join the night breed mm. and then he kind of goes and then he joins them and but then no but then he has joined them you never see him joining you just all of a sudden yeah you sort of see him well you see him getting in, sort of inducted into it yeah but at you? that point they it. say right so you've been through all the laws and <laughs> you've been spoken to about this and you've you, so you obviously he's been there for a while yeah he yeah says, yes i have i've been here for a while and you just have to accept that and you don't really see... I mean, because um, uh, Dr. Decker tricks him into thinking that he's murdered people, which is why he thinks he would be best off with the Nightbreed. Yeah. Um, but he hasn't. No, he hasn't actually killed anyone. And so there's no real... Well, you know, we, what's the need for him to go to them? We don't know. Well, this is, this is the question that we asked ourselves earlier on. I mean, he, he goes to find Midian, the town, which turns out to be a cemetery... Because he thinks he's killed some people. So he thinks he's a monster. Mm. So Boone arrives in Midian and he gets bitten by one of the night breed who's going to try and kill him but doesn't because he's saved by banana head and then but and then he becomes one of the night breed because he's been bitten mm. not because he is a murderer so th- this is the question what was it that made him have the initial dreams about Midian cuz i think Oh, well, I thought that this was the case when I first watched it, and, and now I've just watched it, I was like, oh, okay, wait. I thought he was a nightbreed, even though Oliver Parker's character said, ah, he's, he's a natural, he's not nightbreed. I thought he was wrong, and that he actually was a nightbreed, okay. you know, and he always had been, but he just, it was like undiscovered, you know, it was undiscovered. But that's not the case, as as, not as spe- no, and the then film. When they're talking about the prophecy at the end, they're talking about how he turned him into a nightbreed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. So the, maybe the, the reason he's having the dreams at the beginning is because of this prophecy. But why him? I don't know. Yeah. And and in the film, you know, you don't. I don't think you ever really get the sense of why it's him. No. Because you don't get enough time to be with his character. No. And I and I have read the book, so he goes into a lot more detail then about the character of Boone and what he's like, and he is a bit of a messed up individual, even if he didn't do these murders. He's still got some issues, but you don't really have time to explore that in the film before he gets bitten. Well, let's get on to this thing, because I think this is the most important thing we should say before we go on. Because I think any of our kind of any of our comments that are negative about this film or nitpicky, really, mm-hmm. they're directed at the studio. Yeah, from my I part, anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, because I think this was a hugely ambitious film, and there's so much good stuff in it. Um, but there's, there's clearly a lot that's been cut out, mm. and and we well we know that for a fact, but when you watch the film, it's quite obvious. Yeah, it's obvious. There's loads of bits cut out, and it's just a real shame that the studios couldn't actually embrace this film. I mean, this is the kind of film that, like these days, would need a studio to be like they were with Watchmen and go, right, you can make a three-hour-long film, mm. and we'll we'll release it and we'll really advertise it. You know, it needed that kind of treatment, and by all accounts, it didn't get that kind of treatment, and they were just really confused by it, and they kind of hampered Clive Barker. Well, I think he thought it would get that treatment, and the I think the first cut he gave in was sort of a two-and-a-half-hour-long cut, and they said, this is far too long, take an hour out of it. And he cut it down to two hours, and they still said, that's that's too long, and it ends up being, I think the credits end credits start at about one hour, 35 minutes. So it is about an, nearly an hour shorter than Clive Barker would have liked. Yeah, and I think you can really tell that. And and that's, that's, I think, the only problem that I've got, really. 
mm. is is that is that this film could have been this really cool kind of luxury horror film in a way where it was really yeah. long and you got to sit with the characters and really enjoy them uh, and it's it just looks like a really kind of strange Clive Barker hallucinogenic kind of dream that's been forced into a action movie action horror movie template yeah there's a lot of stuff that's just rushed or glossed over that you really want to linger on and find out more about and the stuff they've left in is the well as you were saying the more classic examples of action things exploding things being shot people shooting people and the horror sections where there's a very slow build-up to you know someone's head being cut off or someone being stabbed Mm. yeah i think a lot of the scenes some of them are quite slow but they're quite boring like a woman picking up a pastry off the floor yeah why do they leave that bit in (laughs) so that's hugely long but cut out some really interesting things about the the breed themselves yeah yeah well that bit where she's picking up the uh the cream off the floor (laughs) that i could do without that section yeah it's very strange and the severed head's fun and then she gets stabbed up which is all good Mm -hmm. but no less of the cream (laughs) less of the cream um, but yeah, so I guess that's that's our that's our sort of beef with the film. Is it's not with the film; it's with the studio. Yeah, it's not with the film at all because the film is really good fun. Yeah. Apart from the moments where you think, "Oh, hang on, what? I've missed. I've missed something," and you haven't because it wasn't there, but you feel like you have. Mm. So I think his introduction, Boone's introduction into the breed, is is a bit too rushed, and mm. he. It seems to be really comfortable with them within like three seconds and it's all fine. Um, But we don't get to see him living with them or being with them or, you know, we don't get to see that. And that's that's a shame. He turns up, you see a bit of his induction and then all of a sudden Laurie's there, his girlfriend, and he wants to get out. And that's it. That's all you see of him in the the underworld. Yeah. Well, he wants to stay, doesn't he? But they they say... When when I say get out, I mean get out you know, of the underground cabin to mm. go and save her, not get out of Midian. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he wants to go outside to save her and sort of you know, bring her back down, I guess, or just get her out safely. Yeah, and so and he's kind of, you know, they're, they're like, well, the law says you should go, so off you go. So he goes with her, doesn't he? Yeah, because he's, yeah, because he's left. They said, you can't, you can't go up there, it's, it's the law. They say that a lot, doesn't they? It is the law. It is the law. <laughs> there's a lot of laws that... Yeah, um, there's a lot of laws. Mm. Don't, not in that chair. It is the law. Mm. And basically, so we have Boone, who's trouble character. Boone. Boone. Yeah. Who ends up with the Nightbreed. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, because yeah, they, cool. they accept him once yeah. he's one of them. They accept him. Uh, and then Laurie's on his trail, mm-hmm. trying to find him. And, of course, Dr. Decker is also on his trail, because Dr. Decker seems to believe as throughout the film that Midian is real yeah well it's it sort of implies he's not sure to start with I think and then when Boone gets murdered murdered shot down by the police mm. which is kind of a murder because Decker sets it off and then his body disappears then Decker's like ah this Midian place is real I'm gonna go and find it yeah and, and Decker as far as I gathered from it seems to have a big thing against families <laughs> that's what I that's what I got from it mm. from breeding and families because he's been murdering families he's been murdering the parents and the kids yeah and he doesn't and he's like he says the line something like breeding filth upon filth or something like that mm. and the night breed are pretty much the most screwed up family 
yeah. you could get, and he wants to destroy them all. He does, yeah, yeah. So he turns up there to to do that, and Boone nearly kills him. Boone nearly kills him, but then doesn't because of that idiot with half a face <laughs> who's straddling his girlfriend. Now, apologies if you, I mean if you haven't seen the film. Yeah, so this is are, all just not making any sense. No, to you we whatsoever. are leaping around a lot here. Um, but the thing is that this film is 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 all is quite dreamlike. I think it, it's it quite is. sort of hallucinatory, yeah. a bit disjointed. It, it it does feel kind of quite strange um, when you watch it. So it is hard to sort of go through it in that way. But if you have seen it, hopefully this is all making sense to you. Mm. Speaking of that character that I just referred to as the idiot with half his face gone, um, he that is quite a good. The makeup's brilliant on that guy, mm. uh, Narcisse, I think the the character's name is. And in the hospital, we first meet him, and he rips his his skin off his face to reveal, you know, underneath and flesh and stuff like that. That's that's very Hellraiser. That's mm. that's great. That was the first moment where I thought, "Ooh, we're getting all Hellraiser now." Yeah, and I think that that's a, such a great idea, such a Clive Barker idea that there's these monsters, and some of them can hide. You know, and some of them have kind of maybe been exiled from Midian or they want to go to Midian because they know that's where they'll be safe. Yeah. But they're out in the human world and this guy's like, oh, I'll show you my true face. You know, and he starts ripping his skin off. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And the other really Hellraiser bit is later on, just very briefly, there's a lady with a fan and she pulls, she takes the fan away and half her face is missing. Yeah, that's Bottom good. half of her face is gone. It's brilliant. That's good. And that's when Laurie's exploring Midian, mm. um, which has lots of nice little things in it. Um, but I think, again, suffers from the fact that if, if Clive Barker's imagination is so amazing, how the hell do you put that on film without it costing like $200 million? Yeah, exactly. You know? Although, as, as you said earlier on, if this film was made now with $200 million, most of them would be CGI creatures yeah, and it would probably look worse. That would be rubbish. So it's good to see all these prosthetics and yeah. uh, and puppets and stuff. It, it's nice, isn't it? it just well, Clive Barker good. said at the time he wanted to make the Star Wars of horror films. And you can kind of see that with all of these amazing creatures that he's come up with or other people have designed. And they've made them all with, with you know prosthetics and makeup like the original Star Wars films mm. before they were dicked about with and that's great that he's he wants to come up with this whole world and create this whole world and all these weird characters and that's that's the thing isn't it like the mythos of this world the mythology of it um is amazing but you don't get enough of it in this film no because there's not time to to make the traditional action horror story they've got to introduce the characters they've then got to be in jeopardy it's got to go wrong the bad guys have got to come in and then they've got to resolve yeah and there's not enough time to you know there's only this very clever sequence where Laurie's exploring Midian but you get a flavour of what's going on down there but I don't know it's not enough I mean is that a good thing or a bad thing I don't know well I, I think at the end of the day it's a bad thing because Clive Barker apparently wanted to create this whole big universe that could then spawn sequels and spin-offs and whatever and just this is the beginning of what could be a big franchise but the studio cut so much out of it that um unfortunately when it first came out it wasn't terribly well received it didn't do terribly well at the box office and it wasn't very well received critically Mm. which i think is to do with partly to do with how the film ended up with all the bits cut out that were probably necessary for the story and also the marketing of the film at the time 
Clive Barker was very vocal about how it was poorly marketed by Morgan Creek and they started to market it just as a slasher film to some people I guess because of the button face slasher character if you just show those bits in a trailer then people are going to think it's going to be like Friday the 13th and go and see it whereas it's not it's not it's about the monsters really and it's not really about the, the slasher serial killer character it's about the nightbreed well it should be anyway but in the finished film there's a lot more emphasis on Decker than there is on the characters who live in Midian. Mm, absolutely. And I imagine in the extended version, there's a lot more about Midian and, and what's going on in there. Well, it's kind of like, I mean, I said before, like to you, that I thought that this should have been a TV series, you know. Yeah, that would have been great. If they could have had a huge series, because it's kind of like when you've got a world that's established, like any kind of TV series, when they make it into a film, they always kind of have some kind of big upset that makes them have to leave. Like if it's The Simpsons, you know, yeah, something will yeah. happen to Springfield and they have to go on a road trip <clears throat> or the famous characters from such and such will then have to leave where they normally do their thing and go to, you know, yeah. Egypt or whatever. <laughs> and that's what this kind of felt like to me. Like you wanted to be with them in their world and sit with them in Midian, but then Decker was already screwing it up very yeah. quickly and they had to go, which is... Not a criticism, it's just it's just kind of no, like... No, but we what would, have, would have liked more time with them in their own world before that happened. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that Clive Barker did also. So that's just a shame that the, the pressure of... The financial pressure of making these films and stuff. That, it's weird that the studios, I guess, in trying to give what they think the audience wants, they ruin things. Yeah. If they'd have made this... If they'd have let this film be three hours long and let absolutely everything that Clive Barker wanted in it, it would be much more well-received, I think, now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think I think it would be much more... People would regard it, you know, as that... Well, they do regard it as that amazing cult film, but more so, because it wouldn't have been butchered. Or even I mean? find something in the middle that you can turn into a cliffhanger and release it as two films. Hmm. I guess, I mean, I think these things have come m- more recently, haven't they? I think studios have sort of sometimes understood that if they really let the director do what they want to do that can be an event in itself no this one was very badly marketed and apparently they didn't even have a press screening for critics because they said that the type of person who goes to watch a film like this doesn't read reviews amazing yeah (laughs) which is ridiculous that's a hellish thing and I, i suppose this this film contributed to clive barker just thinking Sod it. I don't <laughs> yeah. wanna I don't wanna make films anymore. And it would be five years before he directed another film, which is Lord of Illusions, which we'll do next time. Mm. I think I, I hate this story. It's such a reoccurring story in Hollywood, isn't it, that you get these artists who've got this amazing creative vision and it makes money. Like so many people buy his books and then they get into the Hollywood machine and they just crush the life out of them and end up making them go, Look, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. It's just so silly. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. understand where these people are coming from. But. And the producers of something like Nightbreed will have said, this won't work unless you cut it down. You need to cut it down. Cut it down. They'll cut it down, release it. And they'll say, see, it didn't work. I told you it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's their fault it didn't work. Exactly. But, I mean, a two-hour film isn't too long at all. There are loads of horror films out there that are two hours long. They, One of the reasons that sometimes people cut films down to an hour and a half is so they can have more showings in a day at the cinema. And it could have been that mentality as well. But it's just, if it, 
affects the film, then don't do it, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but, so there we but go. Yeah, getting back to the uh, the story. That's though. our rant, our studio yeah, rant. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. They, they should be sorry. Yeah, they should be sorry. The podcast. You downloaded it. We came. So let's talk about someone we touched on earlier on, which is Laurie, the girlfriend of Boone. Who? So she's told that he's been gunned down by the police, and then all of a sudden his corpse has disappeared from the morgue. So she goes off to try and find Midian, because that's where he fell, where he was shot. And she ends up uh, inside Midian. Hmm. Yeah, because poor old Boone's been completely stitched up by Dr. Decker, who's murdering people, and then he's decided to use Boone as a scapegoat. So he gives him LSD instead of lithium. Yeah. And um, basically, uh, when the police go to arrest Boone, he says, he's got a gun, jumps out the way, and the police kill him. Yeah. And it's all all lies. It's all lies. And then... it's a big reveal that he's actually the serial killer hmm. instead of Boone. And that's when he's chasing Laurie around Midian and Boone breaks the law of Midian by going out to save her. Then mm. Decker's very blatant about that. He says, I'm going to kill you and that's going to bring Boone out of hiding. Mm. Now, do we ever really find out what Decker's motivation is for all this? Does he want to get into Midian, or does he want to just find out about it? It's almost, it seems like he's just trying to find Boone to start with. And then he wants to, then it turns out, he kind of ends up saying he wants to destroy all of Midian. And is that his motivation? I think that's his motivation. I think when he says, there's so many breeders, I've been killing them, e.g. the families. And then he says, and there's a massive breed in Midian. I've, and I've been sent to destroy it. I think that's what it is. Yeah, he's basically just using Boone to find Midian and then kill everyone. Yeah. And the only way he can think of to kill everyone is to tell the police that there is a cult there that's going to kill more people and get them all to turn up and blow it up. Which leads to the action part of the film, mm. which is huge, huge action. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether... I don't know whether Clive Barker maybe was pressured a little bit by the studio to put a lot of action in or not because it seems very action heavy there's lots of explosions lots of gunfire lots of people falling through things lots of stunts I think one of the things that he definitely had to cut out was some scenes of violence some sort of to get it down to an R rating they had to cut out some violent bits which I think were to do with this attack on Midian so they had to leave in all the explosions because they're you know the big effects and the high production values Mm. but lots of the interesting bits of violence were cut out which is a shame when you're watching a horror film and there's been some horrible violence you kind of do want more and it's also a bit short-sighted of the producers to want to get that r rating when they would have known that it would have been released on video and probably done quite well hmm yeah, it is weird. Because I know the video culture wasn't as big as it is now in 1990, but it was still there. It was still pretty big. Throughout the 80s, that's where a lot of you know cult films found their footing. Well, yeah, some films that are now regarded as classics, you know, didn't yeah. do that well in the cinema and then were really good on video. But um, it's weird because I think, like, sometimes it's the, it's not necessarily the violence that's bad. It's the, the, the themes or whatever. I mean, when the police turn up at Midian to kill everybody 
it's what they're doing that's really horrible. Yeah, it's exactly. the fact that, that there's all these rednecks running around just literally blowing people away. It's not yeah, sort and of kids seeing blood. Shooting kids and shooting saying, kids. this is, you know, God told me to do this. Shooting women and kids and then like, you know, I mean, they sort of see a woman and a child, don't they? At one point, there's yeah. a guy and he's like, oh, yes, my lucky day. And you're like, that's awful. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> and that's more disturbing than seeing a close-up of someone getting knifed mm. or someone's eyes getting pulled out. I mean, if you put little bits of gore in a film like this, for the audience, they're fun. They're the bits where you go, oh, yeah, did you see that? That was mm. really cool. Whereas if it's just horrible men <laughs> shooting children... <laughs> It's much worse. Yeah, it's still it's still really really awful. Yeah, but yeah, so so that's um, what happens. Basically, <laughs> it goes absolutely crazy. The police have got flamethrowers, yeah, bazookas. Yeah, there's a bazooka, <laughs> and they're all led by the police chief, who is just a complete fascist, horrible yeah. Yeah. guy. And that's all pretty extreme. Yes, it is. Yeah, in in a good way. Yeah, it's it's very much like you know, especially when the berserkers get released yeah the berserkers are the these horrible monsters that live in midian that they keep in the cellar basically yeah because they're insane they're just uncontrollable and they, and they let, let them, them out. loose to kill all the policemen that's good fun yeah um yeah i mean the, the message of you know the monsters might be monsters but they're not as bad as humans is is right front and center yeah although the monsters do kill people like, Pelequin, at the beginning, is just going to kill and eat Boone. Yeah. Before he's stopped. Well, so, that, that is a little bit in the... I mean, when it comes to the bit where the humans are sort of invading Midian, they're all kind of... There's lots of people saying, like, but we, we, we can't fight them, let's hide, and all this kind of thing. Mm. And I'm like, the majority of you have got huge claws and teeth, and <laughs> you've got spines, then you've got yeah. all these things. I mean, maybe you don't want to do it, but a lot of you are quite vicious you know, you could kill someone quite easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe they don't want to. Well, I suppose, you know, Pelequin yeah, is a, a, a bad one of the monsters, but the others are good. Mm. They just want to do their thing. They just want to sit in Midian and play with snakes. and Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, we don't really know what they do all day long. And that might have been explored in the extended version. Yeah, I mean, I think the beginning of the film starts with a dream from Boone where they're all kind of cavorting along. And I guess that's trying to show you, you know, that thing that you can get from books where you can really understand that characters are sort of really living their lives and really enjoying it, you know, they're, you know, them, them kind of cavorting through yeah. the night and enjoying just doing their thing, you know, mm. is, is hard to express on film, I think, in some ways. Yes, it is. It is. Or harder than when you would read a book sort of describing that passage, you know, you'd be like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because the biggest, the biggest section that we do find out a bit more about Midian and what it's like down there is the bit where Laurie is, is wandering around just observing things. And mm. there's still some of them that are being a bit horrible. Like you've got Pelequin who sort of gets the guy that looks like Boone from behind, but like a <laughs> goblin from Lord of the Rings from the front. <laughs> that's brilliant makeup. I think that's excellent. Yeah, that that's is genuinely eyes. quite scary. It's quite disturbing. He sort of entices her to him and he's, you know, mm. going to do something. And then and then Boone turns up and sort of says, do you mind? Yeah, which brings us to, I guess, the Boone makeup, I, I suppose, is something I maybe have a slight issue with. In that all the others... Well, look... when Boone turns into a monster. Yeah, I mean, all the others look so cool and amazing. And, <laughs> and Boone just kind of looks a little bit... 
like a sort of caveman slightly. Yeah, but he kind of does a bit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's not. It's the like Craig Sheffer's face, but sort of enhanced. I mean, I like the bit where he's got some of scarification, like um, scars and stuff on his face. That looks cool. Yeah. And I remember seeing a photograph of that again when I was younger, and he had like pointy teeth as well, and it looked brilliant. And I was like, wow, that looks amazing. But for the majority of the film, he just looks kind of like his own features are quite big. Mm. So he sort of looks like a bit of a muscle-bound guy. So yeah, he looks a bit strange. Um, And some of the other Nightbreed as well, there's some makeup that is absolutely brilliant and is the most wonderful inventive stuff that you'll ever see and others that are a little less so like there's sort of a man that rocking man who's like a big mound Mm. a big sort Mm. of fleshy mound he's a bit weird and i'll tell you what that big you know the big fat we talked about earlier on with the little arms at the top of his body and the head down in his stomach Mm. that character he should be in it more he's cool I like yeah. him. Yeah, I guess he couldn't move or something because... No. <laughs> There's lots of amazing prosthetics that are literally in the film for a few seconds. Mm. And they must have, co- like you said, it must have cost a fortune to have all of these made. Especially with the massive set as well that they're all in. Oh, I'm sure. It and it's such a shame not to explore them and linger on them. Yeah, it's a little bit like the Star Wars cantina scene, isn't it? Where you kind of just see all these different creatures and they're all yeah. varying degrees of... Quality, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But at least so it is Clive like the Barker's, Star Wars of horror. Clive Barker's not going to go back and use and CGI. Exactly, yeah, replace them all with CGI. <laughs> oh, the studio wouldn't let him do that. <laughs> Speaking of Clive Barker doing a different version, there have been lots of rumours around of longer versions of the film existing. There's uh, someone has on. VHS, a work print it's Clive Barker's original work print which I think is sort of the two and a half hour version that was shown at a horror convention last year or the year before and there was talk of trying to get that released on DVD and that's I think fallen through the last minute and also Morgan Creek said they had 25 minutes of footage that was cut from the film and Clive Barker was going to put that back into a director's cut version and then all of a sudden Morgan Creek turned around and said, no, we haven't got that footage. We can't find it. Uh. So it, at the moment it looks like a release of an extended version, a director's cut or the work print is on hold. It might happen at some point, but the studio just, just says it's not worth it. This is not the audience for it. Well, you know what I think, and this might sound controversial. Oh. Mm. But I think, because remakes seem to be the thing oh. at the moment, mm. don't they? And I'm not a big fan of remakes uh, at all. It depends how they're done. It does depend how they're done. Most of them at the moment are a bit crap. But I think, you know, we need some more original ideas. But anyway, that's not the issue. Remakes make a lot of money at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think this film, more than Hellraiser, this film I would be happier to see remade. Not because I dislike this film in any way, but because... They have butchered it so much, and they don't seem to be able to find the other footage to put it mm. together. So if they were going to do, or they a remake, just don't want to. Oh, they don't want to. If they were going to do a remake of this film with Clive Barker doing it, if they said to <laughs> him, "Do you want to make remake the film?" I don't know if he would. Well, he might not want to, but I think I'd rather they they remade this film than they remade Hellraiser. But think of it this way: they don't think there's an audience for a Region 2 DVD release. 
Yeah, they're not going to do it. Obviously. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> no, they're never going to do it in a million light years. A, a remake. But then I, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with Hellraiser. Whereas this film, I feel sorry for it because I'm like, you cut out. That's true. Yeah. All the best bits. But that's the problem. It's all the really popular films that are getting remade mm. into worse versions. <laughs> yeah, it's very bizarre, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I mean, some of the classic classic films that have been remade recently. The remakes are frankly awful yeah many many of these remakes are, are just terrible but i mean i'd i'd prefer absolutely prefer if you know tomorrow they announced it and they said we found all the footage for mm-hmm. nightbreed we're getting clive barker in he's going to edit it all together i would love to sit down and watch a version of this film that was like three hours long oh god me too would, yeah yeah i know i would enjoy it you know and i would just it would be great and a lot of fans would agree with us there i think yeah and they'd make a load of money if you're listening to this anybody in charge yeah you need to do make a, loads of money you need to do a super duper dvd release of the film as it stands with an extra disc with an extended version and you will definitely sell lots and lots of copies we'll tear your ears apart one thing um, we haven't talked about yet is the music of the film the score Mm. the soundtrack um, which is done by Danny Elfman yeah I mean you can tell a Danny Elfman score Usually Ooh, you can spot them a mile away. You can can't spot them a mile away, and even the put the DVD in the region one that we've got. The menu comes up with this score that sounds quite similar to some of Batman, a little bit like Beetlejuice. Mm. And we're not saying it's bad at all because I think he's a brilliant composer, but sometimes he can repeat himself a little. Yeah, and it maybe it does slightly overbalance the film a little bit in parts because. Purely because you associate his music with so many other things. Yeah, it can do. I mean, when something is very important is happening on screen and there's this strong Danny Elfman score, it does take you out of the film a little. You kind of think, oh, it's Danny Elfman again. Whereas if you go back to the first Hellraiser, you've got Christopher Young's score, the first two Hellraiser films, in no way does the music take you out of the film. If anything, it enhances the film to the nth degree because it's so good. But in this one, it does overpower it a little in places. Mm. Yeah, a little bit. And it's interesting because I think Clive Barker was absolutely right with Hellraiser that, you know, they don't want like an 80s soundtrack. You want want a classical, good orchestral score. And that will give it a timeless quality. And so he wanted to do the same thing with this, I guess. And they obviously went to Danny Helfman, who's big... And yeah, I, this was I, I after expect... Batman, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would expect he was quite expensive. Yeah, and um... well, it was just after Batman. Batman came out the year before, I think. Maybe they got a, a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, and it's it's good music. It's very big. It's very full on and very orchestral. But um, but yeah, maybe maybe you know, it would have been nice to see a, another different composer doing something that that's not so recognisable or bombastic. Yeah. Right. So I think that's probably about it for our discussion about Nightbreed. There'll be more Nightbreed later on in these podcasts because there was a comic series of Nightbreed and there was a Nightbreed Hellraiser crossover in the comics. So we'll get to that at some point, way down the line. So we may well come back and touch on Nightbreed again. And also, hopefully we'll have some more interviews with some of the actors involved in Hellraiser as well. So when we talk to them properly, we sit down with them, we'll talk to them about Nightbreed as well. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good to know what they think about it. Especially if we can get what we really want at some point is a interview with Clive Barker. <laughs> mm. If you're listening, Clive, 
we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, we will, somehow or other. Mm-hmm. So we can talk to him about Nightbreed and also Lord of Illusions, which brings us nicely on to talking about what we're going to be doing next podcast, which is the 1995 movie Lord of Illusions, which was based on a short story in the Books of Blood called The Last Illusion. So if you've got The Books of Blood, then have another read of that one before our next podcast. Or if you've got the movie, that you can get that one over here. So so have a little look at that. It's got mm. Scott Bakula in it of Quantum Leap and Star Trek Enterprise fame. Mm. And it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Not only because that's the you know third and final to date Clive Barker movie. Mm. Full-length movie. So in the meantime, all we've left to say is do keep the feedback coming in. Podcast at hotmail.co.uk mm, Yeah, so if you've got any questions or queries or you want us to do a particular podcast... Yeah, tell us like what that. you want us to talk about because we're getting to the stage now where there are less things, obvious things to talk about. We're going to carry on going through the comics interspersed with other things, but is there anything else in the Hellraiser world that you would like us to discuss? Or you think is brilliant and you want more people to know about or if you think there's something that you want to know more about, let us know. Yeah. And we'll have a chat. Mm. Find us on Twitter as well, at HellraiserCast. And there's a Facebook page you can go on and like the page. Um, there's some you know fun facts and bits and pieces on there we put up from time to time. And there's a website as well, HellraiserPodcast.com. So just get online and seek us out and like our things and join our WhatsApps and... <laughs> Make us popular. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, well, I think that's it for now. We'll see you all next time for a discussion about Lord of Illusions. In the meantime, thanks, Phil. Thank you, Peter. And thank you all for listening. See you next time. Ta-ta. Bye. (laughs)